Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're done with your Oreo? <laughs> yeah, I'm done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, do we really know what happened? The brother did. The brother, that's what I thought too. I mean, that seems like... Welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy. I'm just yeah, it's Mystery Murdery Thingy. I'm just sitting here smiling. Oh, just smiles all around. Smiles all around. <laughs> Smiley smiling here. <laughs> We're like a Beach Boys album. Um, is that a name of a Beach Boys album? It is. Smiley smiles. Smiley smile. That's stupid. It's like the one that was supposed to come out after um, Pet Sounds, but it got like delayed and delayed, and then it ended up coming out like way later. And when they were old, yeah, Brian Wilson became like kind of a hermit. I don't know if you ever heard about that, like the lead singer from the from the Beach Boys. Um, yeah, I'm a hermit. You are kind of a hermit. Yeah, <laughs> you have some hermetic characteristics. So do you. We true. both have hermetic characteristics. True, true. Hermetic sounds like some kind of medical term. It's like a hermetic seal. You know. What's that? Um, no air can come in and or in or out. Oh. Yeah. Well, isn't that a seal? Just a seal? <laughs> no, you could you could have a seal that swims in the ocean. You could have a seal no, I'm just kidding. No, you you could have, you know, a seal that's not airtight. It's an airtight seal. Anyway, that's not that's, that's not what we're talking the top, about. The that's what week. the uh, <laughs> so off topic. podcast so, is about. So it's about quickly. it's about seals, different types of seals, homonyms of seal. Today we're talking about the government seal. <laughs> <laughs> the seal of the great state of California. Oh God. Um, no, we're. <laughs> well, Why I'm, California? I don't know. Um, just the first state I thought of, I guess. Which is funny because it wasn't Texas. Um, <gasps> what a sin! Oh my God. Gonna have to have forty lashes. Um, no. <laughs> so the, this is the podcast where we talk about mysteries and murderies and things. Do you have a mystery, a murdery, or a thingy? Murder, lots of murder. I have a mystery. Cool. I mean, they're all mysteries, but like this right. one's not a murdery or a thingy. Right. So therefore, exactly. it is in fact right under the mystery 
category. Because we have talked about how, like, okay, how are these three different things? <laughs> right. <laughs> What's a mystery as opposed to a murder mystery? Right. Um, just purely a mystery. Something we don't know what it is. That's awesome. Um, I for- you told me what you're doing, but I totally forgot, so it's going to be a surprise to me, which is always good. Who's going to go first? Um, That's been a mystery up until this very moment. I care Because <laughs> we did not talk about it. Mine is not that long. Okay. Well, why don't you go first? Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay, okay. <sighs> okay. All right, all right, all right. All right, okay, okay. <laughs> I have... Are you ready? Are you fucking ready? Are you fucking ready? I have a spooky tale Ooh. about the Oh, now I remember. Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe. Quoth the Raven, nevermore. <laughs> oh, our yeah, he's he's, he's wrestling. He's in a wrestling match. Right. Edgar Allan Poe, standing at 165, we have. <laughs> you know what, though? I think I do remember maybe him being on Celebrity Deathmatch. I mean. MTV. I mean, it would have been pretty, you know. That well, was like some brutal claymation. Oh, my God. Like, so much. Like, you wouldn't expect claymation to be, like, bloody and gross, but, like, Celebrity Deathmatch was definitely, like, pretty brutal. That was, like, the whole point of it. Yeah. <laughs> It was good, though. It was good. <laughs> it was one of the shows where my mom was like, you can't watch this. <laughs> oh, you absolutely cannot watch that. <laughs> I was like, Mom, no. <laughs> but it's just clay. Yeah. <laughs> it's cartoon. It's animation. Don't right. you. <laughs> too young Mom, to. you know it's not real, right? Too young to watch Family Guy. Too young to watch The Simpsons. South too Park. young to watch South Park. Too young to watch fucking Celebrity death match it's always the ones that you're not allowed to watch that you most want to watch right? i mean that's the appeal right it's part of it and that they're just really good that's the appeal of um a lot of things that it's forbidden oh yeah um like alcohol i was gonna say like alcohol <laughs> are you let me see what segue. Segue, segue, segue 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 did you know that segue like the machine and segue is in transition is spelled differently because i didn't uh, I did not realize that. How did they spell the machine? S-E-G-W-A-Y. Oh, that makes sense. And then the other one is S-E-G-U-E. U-E, of course, yeah. Yeah. I think we all know how to properly spell the word segue, right? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me sip some of this water. Okay. Some life-giving awa. Let's talk about the life and the mysterious death of Edgar Allan Poe. So I know we talked about mysterious death be- deaths before, but Edgar Allan Poe's death is very odd. Which I, I knew that there was something we, we talked about this one. Before, right. Sure. I knew there was something weird about it. But yeah. I, I, I didn't I didn't know exactly what. And it seemed like he should have a mysterious death just based on his like personality. Right. Well, Agatha Christie went missing, too. I think I heard She's another that one. We'll have to do that at some point. Right. Right. Maybe it's, I'll do that. It's one. like her her novels came to life. Very weird. Um but so Edgar Allan Poe, he was actually born Edgar Poe in Boston, January 19th, 1809. Hmm. So he was actually I actually learned a lot looking. I didn't know a lot about him, so this was a great adventure, research <laughs> adventure. So he was actually one of the first authors to go 
and try to make a professional living as just a writer. Hmm. Um, he kind of made that type of thing uh, popular. So his father abandoned the fam- family right after he was born in 1810, and then his mother died of tuberculosis a year later. Very scary, mm. scary disease. Oh, yeah. um, and so then he was taken to the home of John Allen in Richmond, Virginia. So John Allen was basically like this rich dude, um, pretty successful merchant. Uh, he gave him a home and he named him. He, he also gave him the name Edgar Allen Post, like that's where oh, that comes from. His name was John Allen. Oh, okay, right. That makes sense. His name was Edgar. Yeah, or yes, correct. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, he, he sort of brought him into the family. Right. He never, um, like, officially adopted him or anything. Informal but he, kind of. Right. Sure. He, like, gave him the name. So uh, he was both spoiled, but he was also, like, aggressively disciplined mm-hmm. um, as he grew up. So uh, in February of 1826, he registered at the newly established University of Virginia, um, to study ancient and modern languages, but he dropped out after a year. So the University of Virginia is kind of interesting in its early days because, like, it it was kind of wild. It had, like, a student self-government where students chose, like, their own studies mm. and they, like, made their own living arrangements. Hmm. And I think it was – I think it was Thomas Jefferson that started the university. Yeah, I believe that's true. Right? Um, so during this time, he became estranged from his foster father due to gambling debts. Mm. So the University of Virginia had, it it was like, had a lot of rules, but it was a lot of rules that nobody followed, like (laughs) no alcohol, no gambling, no this, no that, the other thing. But I mean, nobody really followed him. Yeah. Like I said, it was like self-governed. Um, uh. So he he also claimed that his father didn't, like, send him enough money for, like, textbooks and living arrangements. But his debts continued to increase even though he was sent more money. Sure. So he wasn't very successful um, in school. Uh, he returned to Boston about a year later, so after uh, dropping out, where he had odd jobs as a clerk and as a newspaper writer. So that's where he kind of got his start. And at that point, he couldn't re- – he was um, switching from job to job, kind of struggling to be on his own and uh, support sure. himself. So that's why – I mean, I'm there right now. So that's why he enlisted in the Army um, then oh. I, in May. So he said he was 22, even though he was only 18, which I guess is pretty common. Uh he during this time he also released his first book, a forty-page collection of poetry titled Tamerlane and other poems. Uh, but it wasn't very successful. And uh, as we know, he was most famous for his influence on the horror genre and like gothic fiction and stuff like that. So he also um, he kind of focused on horror because that's what appealed to the masses at Mm. the time it was very popular he had a lot of recurring themes um that dealt with like questions of death um such as like the physical signs of death and um stuff like that the effects of decomposition uh premature burial uh the reanimation of the dead 
zombies and shit um, in mourning. And so, yes? What What's premature burial? <laughs> is that like burying someone alive? Yes. Is that, okay. Yes. I was like, is that just like a euphemism? Or? <laughs> no, premature burial. So, oh, like, um, like you think they're dead. Right. Oh, okay. Right. I Which, um, I guess in the 19th century was pretty common. Mm, I think people mistook. Maybe the, it the seemed sound. like it was. I've heard that's like a, a, uh, one of the um, the sources of zombie myths is that if you don't, um, you know, embalm a body before burying it. Oh, then right. It, it'll, it'll expand, it, ma- it makes you know, noises. The, the gases will expand and eventually uh, it'll make noises. And, and that's where the uh, comes yeah, from, so, right? So they, they thought it was like people they were buried you know but obviously not how sad yeah it is can but you imagine also very like oh, he's he's alive like oh no oh that's so sad but there have been some instances where they did think the person was dead and were gonna bury you or, or you know um uh perform an autopsy or something and it turns out they were not yet dead right right and, and then they sang the song from Spam a lot, and it was fine. And it was fine. Uh, all is well. It was totally. Everybody <laughs> understood and had a good laugh about it. I've actually never seen oh. Spam a lot. <laughs> well, it, it's a good movie. I mean, a <laughs> musical. Uh, or the, you know, the. Um, uh, Monty Python. Monty Python. The, the Monty Python version. The Holy Grail, yeah. Um, also, they. I don't know if this is a myth, but I don't think it is, and I kind of hope it's not. They put, like. Um, bells and like a string attached to it into the coffin so if you were alive and they buried oh. you you could like ring it right. you could like pull on it Clever. yeah like isn't that it. weird i also hope that's not a myth it's kind of reassuring <laughs> even though like you would hope to not be buried premature like buried alive but like if you were you kind of have like some yeah. some hope <laughs> there's a safety bell <laughs> there's a <laughs> There's a safety button for you. But what if nobody's there to hear it? I mean, that's the thing. Also, can you imagine, like, walking around the cemetery, you hear, like, ding, You think people ding. just, like, took bells to the cemetery just to fuck with people? I, I mean, I would. <laughs> did you think Edgar Allan Poe did that when he was drunk? I mean, he did a lot of crazy <laughs> shit when he was drunk. Right, okay, tell me about it. <laughs> so, like I said, he had a big influence. Tell me, tell me all about it. Tell me all about it. Oh, well, I made up my song. <laughs> um, a lot of influence on the horror genre. Um, and I think it's the Telltale Heart where he, like, where the, the, the main character can't stop thinking about the guy that he buried under the floorboards and how, like, you can hear him. And oh, mm. oh, oh. If you've never – what the – what just happened? If you've never read – uh, anything by Edgar Allan Poe, definitely get in on that because he oh, is, yeah. he is um, um, a, a, a great a oh, great yeah. writer. It's, it's really good. I read a lot of his stuff when I was like younger. Right. Yeah. Um, like the Casper Montalato. That's one of his. Um, that's one of the more famous. More ones. famous ones. But I think I got into it because of The Simpsons. Like you know, it, what it do you just mean like you got into it because of The Simpsons. Well, well, um, some of the yeah, some of the trails. Does he show episodes. up in the in The Simpsons? Not not particularly. There might be a ghost of him in an episode, but I can't remember. But no, it's like uh, a Treehouse of Horror episodes where they have his story. Some of his stories, like The Raven and stuff, and The Casper Montalato, and The Telltale Heart. Like, they, they do, like, versions of them, so. Okay, so. Um, he had some early attempts at poetry, but he soon began to focus more on prose, 
once his writing like didn't really um take off sure so he, he wanted to make a living off of it correct right so he placed a few stories um with a philadelphia publication and began work on his only drama called the politian or politian i'm not really sure how to say it <laughs> p-o-l-i-t-i-a-n Pollution? Yeah, I don't know. Pollution? Pollution? I don't know. <laughs> um, in October of 1833, the Baltimore Saturday um, Visitor uh, periodical awarded him a prize for his short story, MS, Found in a Bottle. It was this story that brought him to the attention of this, ri- uh, this other rich dude named John P. Kennedy. So he was actually a... Um, both a successful novelist and a Whig politician from Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And he helped Poe play some of his stories in um, the Baltimore Saturday uh, Visitor. So it also introduced him to this guy named uh, Thomas W. White, uh, um, who, hold on, what just happened here? My computer's being really weird. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Come on, little buddy. Come on, pal. <laughs> it's old. She's old. Okay. Um, uh, are you going to edit this? <laughs> no. <laughs> I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we're at right now. Um. Uh, please excuse our technical difficulties during this live tape performance. It is live. So, live to tape. Yes. So he helped uh, Poe play some of his stories and introduced him what to... What was his name again? Um, John P. Kennedy. Okay. Um, introduced him to Thomas W. White, who's the editor okay. of the Southern Literary Messenger in Richmond, Virginia. So in August of 1835, a couple years later... That's when he becomes the assistant editor of this um, uh, literary magazine. But Thomas White fired him within a few weeks because he was drunk on the job. Right. Uh, He returned to Baltimore where he, fun fact, obtained a license to marry his cousin, Virginia Clem. I forgot about that. That Yeah. He married his cousin. He married his cousin. Who was like 13 or something? 13. She was 13 and he was 26. Right. So this is in September of 1835. They were actually, she, she, um, uh, is probably one of his most, I think he had three or four wives and many lovers. And actually like one of his main themes in a lot of his books is like, the one that got away and the mysterious woman that causes heartbreak and death and chaos and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, so yeah, he was 26. She was 13. They were actually married for 11 years until she died of tuberculosis. Yeah. Um, and her death had a really big impact on him. He drank even more. Mm. Um, he became really unstable. Um, like I said, he, uh, it was her death that also, most likely inspired a lot of his his writing. Sure. Um, so, let's get on to his death. Okay. Very mysterious. So, to this day, the death of Edgar Allan Poe is still very mysterious. Okay? So, like, no one really knows for sure the cause of death or what led him to the state of mind that he was found in. So, he was actually missing for about 
a week before he was randomly found um, on the streets in Baltimore. So September 27th, 1849, he left Virginia to go um, do, I think he went to go help somebody edit something in in, um, New York. So he left, um, something happened, who know we don't know what, that's the mystery, uh, and he was found October 3rd, delirious, totally out of it, um, in a place called Ryan's Tavern in Baltimore. A printer named Joseph W. Walker sent a letter requesting help from an acquaintance of him, Dr. Joseph E. Snodgrass. <laughs> Snodgrass. So his letter uh, to Snodgrass reads as follows. Dear sir, there's a gentleman, rather the worse for wear, at Ryan's fourth word polls, who goes under the cognomen of Edgar A. Poe, who appears in great distress. And he says he's acquainted with you, and I assure you, he is in need of immediate assistance. Yours in haste, Joseph W. Walker. So, yeah, he was in really bad shape he's described as having a terrible appearance um massive messy hair dirty face quote lusterless and vacant eyes totally out of it mumbling to himself um really bad state of mind he his clothes were dirty totally worn they didn't fit well it's possible that the clothes he was wearing weren't even his own um and so after he was found he was taken and cared for at the Washington Washington College Hospital. So this is where also things get really weird and really fuzzy and probably why this is such a mystery and it always will be. He was denied any visitors and he was kept in a section of the hospital reserved for like disorderly and sick drunk people. Mm-hmm. So most of what we know about Poe's last days actually come from his attending physician, a guy named Dr. John Joseph Moran, who may or may not be trustworthy. So there's a lot of sketchy shit going on with his doctor. Because Poe didn't have any visitors, we have to take um, Dr. Moran's word for what happened. And his story kept changing. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, God. His story kept changing. So he, like, wrote about it and lectured on the topic. You know, um, obviously he was, like, pretty popular for this um, for this set of circum- circumstances which he, he found himself in. Um, so he was talking about it all the time, but his story kept changing. None of it was consistent. So there were many things off, one of them being that he said he contacted um, Poe's aunt and mother-in-law soon after he died but he actually didn't say anything until she requested it on november 9th um about a month later so we have like letters and stuff mm-hmm. like that that like prove this mm-hmm. um that he was lying it, he also said that um poe had some like really well-spoken and eloquent last words not even like last words but like a couple of sentences and but that also doesn't check out and doesn't make any sense because poe was totally delirious and he wasn't making sense at the time of his death so he can't have these like beautiful poetic words to say and 
announced to the world. It doesn't make any sense. It just made for a better story. Exactly. I think a lot of the big thing here was the story factor and the attention that Dr. John Joseph Moran was getting. You know, what's interesting to me is that this is like something we continue to see, right? Like Michael Jackson's doctor, Mm -hmm. you know, um, whomever, right? The latest celebrity who's died the doctor who did the autopsy or, or was their physician or whatever becomes like a minor celebrity for a while. I yep. didn't realize this stretches like all the way back to the 1820s. Right. It's, which is pretty crazy. It, it's crazy. Um, so he also altered dates. So he said that Poe was in the hospital um, October 3rd at 5 p.m. He also said that Poe was in the hospital October 6th at 9 a.m. He also said Poe was in the hospital October 7th at, quote, 10 o'clock in the afternoon whatever that means um i know right it's <laughs> right. All, it's all very jumbled and i don't know when you think about it, it's kind of sad and it's very frustrating that we have this great um mind and this great writer who totally we will never know what happened there's not even death certificates there's no hospital records there's there's hmm. nothing wow it's a true like we'll never we'll never know because the one person who most likely would know obviously totally totally untrustworthy (laughs) yeah yeah so he claimed that he had all these hospital records as evidence but like i said there's not even like a a death certificate and because there's no death certificate we don't have an official cause of death so there's lots of theories and a lot of it is based on how he was acting towards the end so one of one of the theories is hypoglycemia so like um uh, low bl- blood pressure, which I don't know if you've ever witnessed this. Um, it is scary. It's very unnerving to witness somebody with low blood pressure suffering from the symptoms. It's They're very wacky. They say a lot of weird things. They don't act like themselves. Um... Lots of sweating, lots of shivers, definitely would be described as as delirious. Um, Random bursts of laughter. Um, I'm, like, speaking from experience, like, Mm. because my, like, dad, the the Mm. night before he died, was severely hypoglycemic. Yeah. Um, The the night before my dad died, he flicked me off. Just, like, (laughs) just because he was totally out of it. Right completely out of it wow so like it makes sense that like hypoglycemia is a possible yeah um symptom or um cause of death like it could have gotten so bad that he just died yeah and then of course there is murder murder Murder. um i actually couldn't find much on this theory but it makes sense in that um out of a, a a jealousy aspect in that Poe was very successful and that he was over here making a living as a writer and, and that was um, uh, not common during the uh, mid to early 19th century. So it could have been a whole murder plot that he could have been poisoned or, or something like that. Um, it could have been suicide related to depression. So, in 1848, Poe actually almost died from an overdose on, I don't know how you say this, laudanum? Yeah, laudanum. Laudanum? 
So, which is used as a tranquilizer, both a tranquilizer and a painkiller. Um, but we don't know much about that incident in that, like, we don't know if it was on purpose or if it was just an accident on Poe's part. Um, another theory is alcohol poisoning. Newspapers reported his death as, quote, congestion of the brain, which is actually a euphemism, like a common euphemism for alcoholism. Mm. And my favorite theory, because, um, I don't know, I think it's my favorite because it's the most scandalous, and it's also something I had never heard of before. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called cooping. Mm, cooping. No, I've never heard of it. So, Poe was found by like an election like like by the polls he was found on an election day so it's possible he was a victim of cooping which is a voter fraud practice where victims are shanghaied drugged and used as a pawn to vote for a certain political party at multiple locations what isn't that nuts that is crazy. It's like, I like read that and I was like, no. I like, did not know that that used to happen. It it used to happen. It was definitely a thing. Wow. However, however, the thing against the thing that like kind of debunks this theory is that if you were going to be a victim of cooping, you were probably somebody who wasn't well known. Right. Somebody who you could dump on the streets at the end and no one would really notice. Um, and obviously Edgar Allan Poe wasn't you know yeah, somebody he was like very well known in Baltimore. right right yeah. he was somebody that they would have noticed but it i don't know it makes it makes sense like the time like the time and the place and how he was found and um how he was acting very delirious and sometimes they say that alcohol was a reward for mm. cooping so um i mean yeah i mean he maybe could've... that just like started a downward spiral right right um another theory is cholera he died. He actually died during the early stages of a cholera epidemic. Um, another theory is carbon monoxide poisoning. So, in 1999, a public health research researcher named Albert Donne argued that his that Poe's death was in fact a result of carbon monoxide poisoning from coal gas that we that was used for indoor lighting during the 19th century. So I guess it was pretty common. So he took clipping of Poe's hair and tested them for certain heavy metals that I guess would be able to reveal the presence of coal, gla coal gas, but the test was inconclusive, mm. so that's also kind of debunked. Um, another theory is rabies. So rabies is actually a fairly common virus in the 19th century, and rabies is absolutely devastating disease. Right. Absolutely fucking terrible. Um in 1996, Dr. R. Michael Benitez participated in, um, like, a clinical uh, uh, conference where doctors are given, like, anonymous patients, like, with just initials, along with a list of symptoms. And so those doctors had to look at those symptoms, and they were instructed to diagnose um, what, like, the cause, uh, cause of these symptoms were and the cause of death, and they had to compare it with other doctors as well as written record so like i said he poe was described as being lethargic and confused um his condition began a rapid downward spiral and um soon he was exhibiting delirium he had visual hallucinations um there were wide variations in pulse rate and there was rapid shallow breathing and within four days 
which is the median length of survival after the onset of serious rabies symptoms, he died. So the doctors looked at these symptoms and they looked at this list and they concluded that it was rabies. Hmm. So that's also another possible cause of death. So in the end, we really don't, I mean, we really don't know. I mean, and I don't, like I said, I don't think we'll ever know for sure what happened in that mysterious week that he was missing and that no one heard from him. Um, And then of course we'll never know what his doctor actually saw and what actually happened while he was in the hospital. Sure. So, in conclusion, <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe died of mysterious <laughs> circumstances. I like that you, you ended that like you were giving a reporting class. In conclusion. I would like just to say in conclusion to my report today... Um, <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> it has to be like a certain word count in a certain time. Right. In conclusion to today's report on the mysterious death Ladies. of author, writer, poet Edgar Allan Poe in the 19th century. <laughs> good, good. You did it exactly right. A plus? Good job. A plus. High five. Team mystery. Team mystery. <laughs> Go, Team mystery. <laughs> okay yay yay. um okay so mine uh it's a lot more murdery and it's a lot more not as uh lighthearted even though you were talking about a death um so uh yeah i'm doing more midwestern murder and i'm just focusing on one case this time because it's a biggie um it's very murdery and it's part two of the this is yeah my sort of part two of the of the murdered in the midwest uh, series, little series here. And um, I am doing an unknown serial killer called the Oakland County Child Killer. Which, yeah, you can tell from the name, uh, not going to be a happy story. Um, things don't turn out well. And it's a mystery? And it, it oh, is very so mysterious. Very mysterious. So the serial killer ones are the most... Because you think there's so ma- there's multiple people and there's all this evidence and... Yeah. Okay, go, go. Okay. So, um, it, this is Oakland County, Michigan, okay, so just to clarify that, um, in the mid-1970s. And just as kind of a sidebar before I get started, why were the, like why were there so many serial killers in the 70s? Like, why was this, like, the golden age, or is that just, like, a misconception? It's not, no, right? I, mean, I don't we, think it is. We look at a lot of murder mystery stuff, right? We, we consume a lot of murder mystery uh, media. It's a thing, right? Why? I don't know. I've heard some different um, hypotheses. Like, you know, it's sort of uh, 10, 15 years after the introduction of LSD by, you know, the CIA or whatever. They were mm-hmm. doing testing. Maybe that had something to do with it. Or I, I don't know. Just the breakdown of society, a general rise in crime. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I just – it might it might have been the time. It might have been how – there was definitely a, a, a lots of shift in, in culture during the late 60s and the early 70s with um, war and lots of protests going on. So, I don't know. It's a tough question. Yeah. It's a tough question. And, um, yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of fucking serial killers going on in the, in the 70s. I think as somebody who – I mean, this goes for both of us. As somebody who, like um, – looks into this shit and is really into it it's pretty 
I'm just like not surprised every time I see like a serial killer. It's like beginning in 1972 and up. Right. It's the 70s. Like it's crazy. So okay, so let's get into it. Um, so for a harrowing year and a month in 1976, 1977, children kept coming up dead in Oakland County, Michigan. There were at least four victims and possibly more that are linked to the serial killer. But the confirmed victims are um, as follows. So the uh, first was Mark Stebbins. He was um, 12 years old, last seen, quote, leaving an American Legion Hall on Sunday afternoon, February 15th, 1976. Um, and Mark apparently, according to like his mom and stuff, got bored at a function that they were like attending together there. And uh, he told his mom, like, hey, I'm going to go in, home and watch a movie on TV that I know is coming on. So she was like, okay, you know, just go home and that's fine. Unfortunately, things were not fine. Mark never made it home. And they, of course, call around. They call the police. They start a big, um, you know, search for, with, you know, amongst the family and everything. But uh, Mark's body was unfortunately found on February 19th, four days later wearing the same clothes he was last seen in um and uh this is something that's kind of kind of keep this is like a big part of the mo for this serial killer if, mm -hmm. if it is in fact one serial killer um that the body was like very kind of neatly laid out in the snow and all of the all of these killings there's and this may just be coincidence like one of the investigators like very much thought this was just coincidence but there always seems to either be snow on the ground or snow falling when the bodies are laid out. Oh. And uh, Mark's body had been uh, laid neatly, quote, in a snowbank in the parking lot of an office building at 10 Mile Road and Greenfield, quote, uh, or unquote, between Southfield and Oak Park, Michigan, kind of right on the line of those two cities. And in the four days that Mark, um, you know, between when he was kidnapped and when he, he died, um, he was in captivity um, and apparently mm -hmm. suffered tremendously. Um, he had been bound um, at the wrists and the ankles, um, apparently for long periods. There were, like, ligature marks and, and you know, wounds that, that indicated that. There was also trauma indicating sexual assault, and the cause of death was deemed to be strangulation. And it probably didn't happen very long before Mark's body was, uh, was left. Um, where it would clearly be found, uh, which is, again, part uh, this is part of the MO that's going to keep coming up. Um, the next victim was Jill Robinson, also 12 years old. Reportedly, um, Jill ran away from home, or she may have been just going to her father's house. Her, her parents were divorced. Um, but in either case, she was last seen alive, leaving her home in Royal Oak, Michigan, on December 22, 1976. She and her mom had had an argument. Her mom said basically mm -hmm. that she was in a bad mood for some reason. She she didn't quite seem like herself that, that evening, although they had arguments like any 12-year-old and her mom are going to have, for right? For sure, yeah. Nothing out of the ordinary necessarily in terms of the severity of the argument, but um, she seemed kind of in a bad mood for some other reason. Anyway, they argued about whether she was going to help with the dinner. They argued about whether she was going to help um watch her brother and eventually it got to the point where her mom was just like you know what i can't deal with you right now just go and she mm. was supposed to just go oh, stand no. on the porch That's heartbreaking. you know kind of in a time out in yeah. a sense right 
but that's not what happened. She packed up her book bag. She got on her bike. Um, she basically decided, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm going to go. And she was probably going toward her father's house, which was just a little bit down the road in, in a neighboring town. Um, so those somewhere along those few miles, though, she was um, picked up and, and was murdered. Um, and her bike was found the next day. Um, quote, behind a hobby store on Main Street, close quote, in uh, Royal Oak, Michigan, just, you know, near her home. And um, her body was found three days later, December 26th, uh, near Troy, Michigan, along I-75. And she was also wearing the clothes she left in, and her book bag um, was neatly posed next to her, and her body had been laid out. Does um, that show remorse? I don't know. Uh, does it show remorse? It, I think it shows care. Care doesn't necessarily imply empathy with the victim. Mm. It might, or it might, it might, for example, imply that the killer or killers uh, identifies with the victim. Perhaps this whole thing is in their minds some kind of retributive act for trauma that they suffered when they were a child. And that's been locked in their minds, and it causes this, you know, um, uh, this cycle of thought to where, you, you know, and we've talked about this before, right? The cycle of violence. You, you, you go from, um, you know, th thoughts of violence um, more generally or, or you know, a, a sort of um, a, a, a bad feeling that's more kind of ineffable to more and more concrete, right? You, you start thinking about scenarios of violence then you start ideating violence in the sense of particular acts that you might occur that you might um, uh, cause to occur against another person mm -hmm. and then you find a person and then you commit the act it's it's a cycle that that we see over and over and right. over again with killers so this is something that clearly is part of the psyche of humans right and maybe may, you know it's interesting to speculate but there and we'll see this too that there's just very little to go on in terms of profiling, but I'll I'll, I'll get to the profiling in, in uh, toward towards the end. Okay. Um. So, but 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 thank you for that question. It's it's like a I think it's it's important to be thinking about that all the time, right? We have to understand these people not for any other reason really than that it's it makes it easier to catch them, right? And to right. prevent these crimes and to to bring justice for these victims. You know, and that's why we talk about these kind of things, right? That's why we describe in gruesome detail what happened to these victims. It's it's in an attempt to demystify it in order to better solve crimes. Um, so anyway, that's my little lecture about that. <laughs> so um, Jill Robinson, though, the, the second victim, she appeared, and this is really very, very gruesome, um, she appeared to have been killed there at the site where she, her body was found. Um, with a, quote, single 12-gauge shotgun blast to the face. Oh. Just as horrific as you can possibly imagine. Oh um, really, truly. Um, I mean, we, we were just talking about, you know, the profiling, right? This obviously implies the opposite of the posing, right? This, this implies a, 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 a desire to... De deform the body to deface this person it's it's a it's an erasure of that victim's identity in in a in an exceedingly visceral way um which i think is is indicative if you're talking about you know the, those kind of things like profiling do they have trouble identifying her i don't believe
believe so, just because of what was found in her backpack. Oh, right, and, right, And right. on her person, and, and it just matched up. But, yeah, no, so I didn't, hadn't really thought about that. But um, from what I read, I believe the items in her backpack. Although I think there were some things, like a book that was taken from it. There were other things that were left in the backpack hmm. that, that I believe identified her. And this is really very creepy, um, this next part. So Jill Robinson mysteriously had on many occasions expressed an irrational fear to her mother that she would someday be killed by a man with a gun next to a highway. <gasps> Gives you chills. Oh. My God. Gives you fucking chills. <sighs> um, now... We don't know, right? We, we don't know if that was some kind of premonition or if even – maybe even creepier, right, if somehow this fact was pried or, or was told to the killer by Jill and therefore the killer somehow wanted to fulfill that fear and therefore committed the crime that, that, that she thought might happen. Mm. I mean – those are really the two possibilities, I suppose, but or just pure coincidence, right? Because this one's different than the other the other ones. It, it in that respect, yes, we'll see right. that it is it is unique in this set of victims. Um, and the next victim, Christine Mihalich, um, went missing on Sunday, January second, nineteen seventy seven. So j- just after the um, start of the new year, nineteen seventy seven. And um, she was last seen alive when she went to a store that day um, to buy a, a magazine. She she had been, um, you know, it was, it was uh, the weekend, right? It was a Sunday. So her kind of little project for that day, right, Christine's mm-hmm. little project for that day, was uh, p- uh, pasting up some pictures of her favorite celebrities up on the wall, the Beatles and, mm-hmm. you know, who, whoever, right? Um, that's where her, her mom said she was doing and um, she wanted basically to go to the store and get some more pictures to paste up on her wall. So, her mom didn't normally let her walk to the store alone. She was only 10 years old. Of course, this is the mid-70s, and they didn't really care that much, right? Or this one, like, it just started to turn, actually, because of things like this. But her mom said that because Christine had done a favor for her earlier in the day, she felt like, okay, I'll give you a little more leeway. Mm -hmm. And she did what she didn't normally do. She let Christine walk by herself to the store. These are all very faithful. Does that make sense? Yeah, like the other, like the first one was, oh, we're we're in a, we're like we're in a fight. Uh, go go sit outside, and she and she mm-hmm. left. And this one was, oh, I'll let you, I'll let you go to the store by yourself this time. Right. And, oh man. And we'll we'll definitely get into the the suspects later, but that's why I think it, these must have been random killings. Like people talk about, like, oh, was it a a person connected to the families who, you know, was trying to get some sort of revenge or some, was, were these planned attacks or were they random attacks? I think clearly they must have been random because who would have known, right, that Christine's mom was going to let her walk to the store that that day. Right, Or right. that Jill was going to have a enough of a huff with her mom and have, be in a bad mood that she was going to ride her bike to her dad's house on that day. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's it it is interesting that they all sort of um, hinge on coincidence to some extent. Um, so the clerk at the store did recall seeing Christine buy the magazine, leave the store. So she got there and she left, but we're not sure what happened after that. Um, when she didn't come home after about 
three hours later, her mom reported her missing, was calling around, calling the police. Um, a search was undertaken, and the worst was feared. Mm. But unfortunately, Christine was not found alive. She was found 19 days later. Um, her body was um, by a mail carrier named uh, Jerry Wolvesney. And by this point, they, they, you know, they knew something was up, right? So they had told the mail carriers, like, be on the lookout. Oh, you know, for, okay. for missing kids, be on the lookout for weird guys, you know, or whatever, you know, just have your eyes open. And Jerry, you know, ended up being the person who found uh, Christine's body. And again, it was laid out in the snow um, by, quote, a rural road in Franklin Village, close quote. Her eyes had been closed. Her arms had been neatly folded mm. across her chest. And she was within sight of nearby homes. Oh, and I think I forgot to mention that Jill Robinson's body was found within sight of a local police station. <gasps> oh, yes. so this person's got balls. There's something, It's it seems like, you know, again, if we're talking about profiling, it seems like it's important to this killer or killers that the body be found quickly and that there be some element of presentation and, and risk in terms of displaying the body. That's, yes, that seems to be important to this killer for, for some reason, right? Um, <laughs> of, of which, of course, we have no fucking idea. But, but again, if you're going to do these kind of things, who knows what's going through your mind, right? If it seems rational to you to kill a child, which, I mean, how can you even imagine, right? It, it's, it turns your stomach. It's beyond, it's beyond imagining. Then what else can seem rational to you? And that's what makes it a little bit hard sometimes to tease out the importance of different aspects of a crime or crimes like this. Um, Christine had died of uh, smothering, um, you know, asphyxiation, I suppose, um, probably in the day before she was found. So again, soon, relatively before she was found. And of course, that indicates that she was held for about three weeks. Um, although I didn't read too much about what they think probably happened, but it's best, I guess, not to let be left not thought about. Honestly, um, we can only get so dark, right? Yeah. Let's leave it. Uh, yeah. Let's leave it where it is. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't need to get into that at all. Um, the last confirmed victim of this set of victims was Timothy King, eleven years old. Timothy was an active sixth grader um, involved in hockey, um, very interested in science. Um, he and his parents had actually talked about what to do if he was approached by a stranger, you know, because of all of this crazy oh, stuff wow. that had been going on. And, of course, it's not only these victims. There, there were other kids who go, were going missing, other kids who'd been killed, just not with this particular M.O. Um, so this was in so the news. It was aware. in people's conscience. Okay. Very, very much. Okay. People were aware. And um, they had started saying, you know, you know, maybe stay home, maybe don't go out by yourself. But... It hadn't quite gotten to that point, and and Timothy King, he was he was eleven years old. He was in sixth grade. He was a, an independent kid, so you know they felt like the talk was enough, right? Mm -hmm. And he was last seen alive when he borrowed quote thirty cents from his older sister and left to go skate to a local drugstore, um, the Hunter Maple Pharmacy on Maple Road in uh, Birmingham, which is apparently a pretty nice suburb of Detroit, to get some candy at about 8.30 p.m. on March 16th, 1977. And Timothy's parents were actually having dinner in a restaurant across the street from the drugstore, which is pretty creepy to think about as well. 
and he was last seen for some reason leaving through the back door, um, which opened up onto a parking lot. Well, maybe he was following someone. Maybe. I mean, it's pure speculation, right? Right. Um, but by this time, you know, when he start when they first found out that he went missing, people were extremely panicked. You know, because of again everything that had happened over the past thirteen months, and um, you know that this was yet another person who had gone missing, and again the worst was feared. Um, Timothy's parents made a, a tearful, you know, appeal as we sometimes see in these types of cases, you know, on on TV, you know, with the police there to you know whomever had taken their son. His mom promised to give him his favorite meal, Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know, and I, I think part of that is you. If the killer or if the kidnapper is holding that person right or has killed that person, humanize them. I mean, you use their name. You say personal things about them. It's very uncomfortable. Oh, it's I can, so yeah, of cringy. course, you know, I can see you literally cringing yeah. right now. But again, you do that to try to humanize this person. If you can cause that uh, perpetrator to see the victim as a human, then it makes it more difficult to commit the crime. Whereas if if they're able to dehumanize them then it makes it easier. This is the, the oldest story in the book, right? If it's a person, it's hard to hurt that person because in the end, people want to help people. Yeah. Almost entirely. Obviously not this person or people, but most people. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I try, even in these dark, dark, dark stories, um, I guess I try to just find some humanity in it, right? Some shred of goodness that we can hold on to. Um, and things like that, you know, even though it's very sad, um, you know, that thinking about this victim, Timothy King, his mom, um, his dad, who, who has fought so hard in the, in the decades afterwards to find the truth, actually, as we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, l let's think about those people, right? Not, not the perpetrator. I mean, yeah, it's important, just like we talked about earlier, it's important for that, for the reasons we talked about, but in, in the end, it's about these the victims, people, the right. victims, honoring their lives, their experience, who they were, and, and, and um, the victims around them as well, who were impacted by these crimes. So, it, anyway, um, as with the other crimes, uh, Timothy's body was neatly laid out. This time it was actually in a ditch um, next to Gill Road near Eight Mile Road in Livonia. And um, his skateboard was also laid out next to him. So again, like the bag, something like, like the backpack. Yeah. It there's something about that, obviously, but who the fuck knows? Um, again, Timothy did have uh, trauma indicating sexual assault, mm. and he had been killed by suffocation. Mm. So except for Jill Robinson, the the mo seems to be um, uh, strangulation or suffocation or smothering. You something with the 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 breath being denied. Um, the postmortem also indicated that Timothy had eaten fried chicken before being killed. Oh my god! I know, I know. Oh my god! And 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 the family didn't give him fried KFC. What do you mean? Like the family, like they said that they would in the future well, treat if, him. If 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 if, or... if they brought his son back, you know, like if, that they would give Timothy his favorite meal, oh. you know, and then to humanize him. Oh, so he was listening. That's what you would. I mean, I mean, we Maybe. don't know, but yeah, either that or or Timothy told him. I that guess. Is so gross. But but again, there seems to be some some aspect of care 
it, it with the, the the caveats that I mentioned earlier, but something, something that this killer, that, that to where it was important for this killer to to fulfill something in regards to these victims, for some reason, it's it's all very mysterious. Um, yes, and 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 there. Uh, oh, and Timothy had also been killed approximately six hours before his body had been found. Uh, according to the um, the the ME, so the medical invest, uh, um, medical examiner. So yes, that also is consistent with the MO of being killed soon soon before uh, being found. So there's um, possible other victims, but none matches the MO very clearly, and and there are some that have actually been ruled out as other victims because their perpetrator has been found and then not linked to these crimes. So once the third victim was found, Christine Mihalich, um, the police assumed they were dealing with the serial killer, and they disseminated a composite drawing of a suspect and of a vehicle, which was a gremlin. Okay. And a witness claimed to have seen a boy with a skateboard, you know, where um, – uh, I forget which victim it was with the skateboard, but anyway, where he had been seen um, in the parking lot behind the drugstore, right? We, we, he went out the back door. Uh, if you'll recall. So according to witnesses that claim to have seen that man or, or who they believe was that man um, with uh, – oh, I guess it was it was Timothy. Um, he was a white male between 25 and 35 years old with a shaggy um, hair, long hair, and sideburns. And, and that's really as much of an idea along with some sketches that we've ever really gotten of um, what the, the perpetrator really looks like. So authorities hypothesized that the killer may have been impersonating an officer or a doctor, something like that, to gain the trust of the victims. And, and we've oh, seen this many times, yeah. you know, famously with Ted Bundy, but many other times. And um, that the killer probably also had strong roots in the community because they would have had to have a place to hide the victims right. for several days and even weeks in one instance. Um, a task force was set up but was abandoned. In December 1978, with no confirmed suspects. Why was it abandoned? Do you know? Because they just no evidence. Yeah, they couldn't really find out what ha what happened, and they just said it probably we'll never be able to find figure it out. Um, but the reign of terror in Oakland County, Michigan, was seemed to be over at least regarding this particular mo, and uh, the case has been, um, you know, like I said before, pretty aggressively reinvestigated by the family over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, primarily by uh, Barry King, Timothy King's father. Um, he obtained thousands of pages of police records, over th over 3,000. Um, he also um, has obtained DNA testing for some new suspects and also um, obtained uh, some of the, the sketches and, and other materials uh, relating to the, to the case. The family's also released a documentary called Decades of Deceit, um, which I intentionally did not watch um, to express their dissatisfaction with the investigation. Mm. Apparently, it's it's explicitly biased. Okay, that's they, kind of what it sounded like when you. Yeah, the, there, there's no um, beating around the bush. They they created this documentary in an attempt to discredit the investigation the police mm. did. Now, I'm not saying that that's not a perfectly fine, legitimate thing to do. Maybe it's the right thing to do in this case. Maybe the police deserve to have a documentary done about them, but I don't know enough about the case to say whether or not that's true. So I didn't want to bias myself in, in terms of watching it. Um, 
but I also didn't want to presume that they were necessarily wrong to do that because they certainly know a lot more than I do, and they're certainly a lot closer to the case, but maybe that closeness to the case also limits their ability to be objective. Right. It's a complicated question. It's a complicated issue. It's subtle. It's not an easy thing to talk about because you're dealing with victims. And, of course, Barry King is a victim. I want to honor his sense of the crime and, and what um, a, a, a occurred to him as well mm -hmm. as a victim. Um, I just don't know enough to, to, to referee <laughs> but, you know, between these. There are other cases where I felt more sure in doing that because I had looked into it more and clearly there was police misconduct. Um, in this case, I just don't really know. So, but but it's hard to find. There, there's not that much information out there about the case either, which you'd think there'd be more. But anyway, um, I'm sure there's a shit ton more that I didn't look at. Um, anyway, Barry King's uh, investigating though did turn up a DNA link, um, the one and only DNA link that has been turned up in this investigation, and this was um, in 2012. The DNA linked uh, two of the crimes uh, very strongly. Um, now, this is a, a, a possible perpetrator that we'll get into in a moment here. Um, his name is Archibald Sloan. Terrible person. Um, the DNA um, was uh, found uh, to match, uh, the DNA from the crime scene was found to match two hair samples, or a hair sample rather, um, from an unknown person that was found in Archibald Sloan's car. And we'll talk about why that is in a minute. Um, that same DNA profile matched DNA that was found on two of the victims, Mark Stebbins and Timothy King. This DNA profile also has helped to rule out certain suspects. Um, and while there has been no definitive suspect, like I said right at the beginning, right, that has emerged, there are a few possibilities. So let's get into that. So the first one, um, I'm going to talk about Alan and Frank, quote-unquote. Okay. Alan and Frank, not their real names. Um, so Detroit psychiatrist Dr. Bruce Banto, who was a, a consultant on the case and had spoken about the case in public and everything, um, received a mysterious and exceedingly disturbing letter. Mm. Yes, a few weeks after Timothy um, King's body was found. The writer calling himself Alan, said that he was a partner in a sadomasochistic relationship with a man named Frank, um, and that this Frank was the Oakland County child killer. For sure, he knows. Because he had watched and was now racked with guilt as Frank drove around looking for victims, which is what Alan claims that he did. Alan also claims that he was never there for the actual kidnappings or subsequent crimes. Who knows if any of this is true, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Alan claimed that Frank's motives were somewhat political, that it was some kind of demented retribution for suffering that Frank supposedly suffered while Frank was committing atrocities against children in the Vietnam War. Now, I don't know really how that adds up, right? Doesn't really make basic sense but apparently that's what this person claimed in this letter so i'm just stating that because it's a thing that happened i'm not endorsing that view at all just want to make that absolutely just to be clear yeah. <laughs> alan's letter also told um the doctor uh dr banto that <laughs> i wrote it down as as danto and that threw me for a second 
um, that he I didn't need to say that um, that uh, Dr. Banta was was to um, was to uh, print a cryptic message in that Sunday's Detroit Free Press to signal to Alan that it was okay to contact him, that he'd gotten his message and everything. And the, the cryptic message was, quote, Weather Bureau says trees to bloom in three weeks. Weird, right? What does that mean? It's, it, it, it doesn't mean any, it's not supposed to mean anything. How did he know it was, that was the message? Because it said it in the letter. Oh, so the, okay. the letter said, hey, Dr. Banto, if you Look want to contact more, you print this message in the paper, and then I'll contact you. Okay. So the message was to Alan from Dr. Banto in the Detroit Free Press, just to be clear, and because I know it's kind of confusing. So there was then phone contact that was made between Alan and Dr. Banto, in which Alan claimed to have some photographic evidence. So Dr. Banto attempted to set up a face-to-face meeting to see such evidence, if it exists, um, at the Pony Cart Bar in Detroit, which is apparently a really nice bar there at the time, I suppose. Um, Alan did not show up. Just didn't come. Totally ghosted. Well, no more contact ever again. Are we surprised? And again, who knows? Maybe Alan was killed by Frank. If it ever existed, if either if Frank, of them ever existed, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. neither of them ever existed. Maybe this was some sick freak who, who I shouldn't use the attention. word freak, but you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. Maybe this was this person's idea of a good time. Crazy as it might seem to you and me and the people listening to this podcast, I assume, um, in all likelihood. Okay, so let's talk about Archibald Edward Sloan. Archibald Edward Sloan was a known pedophile in this area. Um, and his car was also known to have been used by many of his other pedophile friends um, for whatever. And um, this is where they found the, the hairs that matched the victims, uh, or ma- rather matched um, the, the DNA um, of, of the victims and also a hair that matched the DNA profiles of the victims uh, themselves. So there, there was a link between this car and the victims, they apparently may have written in it, and there was also a link between the perpetrator um, whose hair was found in the car and DNA that was then found on the bodies of okay. Mark Stebbins and Timothy Kane. Okay, so it so was... there's two separate DNA links between two separate um, uh, areas. Okay. Just to be clear. I'll stop singing the song. Um, so, however, um, given the limitations, you know, kind of in- inherent here, that we, we don't know whose DNA profile it was, um, it's it's hard to really, like, help that to pin down a, a you know. But, but I, I don't know, maybe with the gene- genealogical DNA thing now, maybe they'll do that with this. I know, that's what I was thinking, like, that there's the DNA, there's a little bit of hope there, right? I mean, at this point, if, if you work as, as an investigator and you have a DNA profile and you don't know who it is, if you're not doing gene- genealogical DNA or thinking about it or or like in the process of trying to do it i'm you're not doing your job right right like right. that is what you do now that right. is there's, protocol it's just been so successful there's been there have been over 40 Absolute in the first year less than a year right it's been less than a year because i was just reading about another one today yeah literally today and um it hasn't even been a year since it was used to catch the golden state killer and there have already been like 40, 45. It's crazy. So, yeah, we got to yeah, get on that. 
and re and reduce the DNA backlog. So there's hope with this one. There's some hope, perhaps. Um, okay, next uh, possible perpetrator was a guy named Chris Bush. Um, not a good dude. He was in custody for child pornography. And um, he was in that custody um, soon, but that he was then released soon before Timothy King, the fourth victim, was killed. Um, Chris Bush committed suicide under somewhat mysterious circumstances in November 1978, so soon after the crimes occurred, um, relatively soon. And um, he reportedly had a drawing that looked like Mark Stebbins, the first victim, um, pinned up in the room in which he committed suicide mm. so it's not like a very strong link it's sort of speculative yeah but it's something and and people have done a lot of speculating about about him and and whether he would may have been involved in these crimes okay the the last um suspect I, i'll say right at the beginning that th this had this suspect has actually been ruled out by dna in 2013 okay. but I, I just had to talk about it it's john wayne gacy well, he's always on there. You, you know, never know. He's ki He killed so many people. It's crazy. And who, who really thinks he didn't kill more people than we know about? I... I mean, if you killed a bunch of people and put him in, in your floor, under your floorboards and then had parties, like, I mean, come on. Like, what, 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 are, what are you not capable of? You're nuts, John. You're not right in the head, John. Anyway, um, apparently he was a pretty good clown, though. No, John Wayne Gacy joke. No, Gross. doesn't fly. Okay, sorry. Gross. That was that was that was in bad taste. I'll say it. that was in bad taste. Gross. Okay, sorry, sorry. I apologize, um, forever about everything. So, um, for a long time though, people did think that John Wayne Gacy may have been involved in these crimes, um, and he was known to be in Michigan at the time that these crimes occurred. So it is actually plausible that that it could have been him, um, and it does match his general mo. You know, young victims, sexual assault against the males. Um, there, there was not apparently definitive proof of sexual assault against either of the young female victims, although there, there may have been. Um, binding and torture, of course. And then the brazenness, the laying out of the bodies, the, the posing, you know, the um, doing it sort of in public in a sense. This all kind of sounds kind of like John Wayne Gacy, right? Um, but it apparently was not. So uh, this clearly will remain a mystery. Um, but there is, like we talked about earlier, that hope of, you know, unknown DNA profile. Well, let's see, does it match anyone on GED Match or, or any of the other, you know, sites? And, you know, can we figure out who this may have been? You know, do that that investigative work to find it out. So we'll see. But, uh, yeah, until then, this is really, I think, one of the biggest unsolved killing, you know, uh, murder cases that we have in this country. Yeah, I I can't believe I've I never heard I've of this ever heard, I was just, just about to say that. Like, I don't think I've ever heard of this one. There, I mean, there's so many. I know. So there's so, so, so many. But this was the biggest manhunt up to its time in American history. Wow. So, you know, uh, according to one of my sources. So, um, yeah, I don't know. But that's pretty much it. Uh, that's my story for this week. That was week. a good one. Um, yeah, it was. It was. There was a lot to dig into. Like I said, I, can't, I really can't believe that we had never heard about it before. Um, my two sources. So they uh, they were both real good sources. Of course, the first one's Wikipedia. Um, Wikipedia's always got your back. Um, don't believe everything you read on there, but you know it's usually pretty good. Um, the other one was a uh, radio program from uh, 1977 by David Newman called Winter's Fear. 
which um, was on uh, what was then known as WXYZ Radio, a uh, P- uh, PBS station. And uh, it actually won the um, Peabody Award um, for excellence in radio. So um, very, very good program. I, I would definitely recommend listening to it. It's all on YouTube. Um, it was put up by this lady who inserted some of her own theories and stuff um, in visuals as it's going by. It's kind of interesting to watch. Some of it, the, she's very into the John Wayne Gacy idea. This is before mm, the DNA before evidence was, came yeah. out. So it's sort of funny to watch and be like, well, John this and John that. And I was like, what's this John she keeps talking about? She just assumes oh, that you know. Oh. Or maybe it said it at the beginning and well, I missed it. I don't know. Well, he was also not, well, I mean, I guess he could have traveled, but he was from DeKalb? He, he, he was in Michigan at this time. Oh, he was? Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, I think okay. you, you were uh, replying to a text on your phone when I was saying that earlier. Peek behind the curtain. It um, was it was important. It was an important rehearsal text. <laughs> good, I swear. Good, good. <laughs> well, I also have to go to rehearsal, so <laughs> let's uh Theater. Theater people. Um Weird shit. I wanna go first. Weird shit in the news. Weird shit in the news. Woo! Weird That's usually your part. You usually do the <laughs> weird weird. Okay, so the title of this one says it all. <laughs> it happened <laughs> in uh uh, uh, I don't know how to say this. It's, uh, it's the UK, so I don't fucking what, know. Leicestershire. Leicester. No. Lester. Really? Yeah, that Leicester. That like twelve letter word. Leicestershire. Oh, Leicester. I thought this whole thing. <laughs> well, because Leicester's the city, and then Leicestershire, I guess, is the county. Or so this happened in South Leicestershire. Um. The police tweeted to say that officers were looking for a man when they knocked on a door in the area of Cavendish Road in Leicester at 9.20 a.m. So the door turned out to be the wrong one. But when they went inside, they found three men preparing a large amount of heroin and crack cocaine. Uh. (laughs) This is just straight up bad luck. But I also think it's karma. Like, those assholes did something besides packing huge amounts of cocaine. (laughs) When bad things happen to bad people, it's just so satisfying. It is satisfying. These pieces of shit. Right. Oh, my God. So, the tweet said, quote, By chance, we were at an address yesterday looking for a male. I'm knocking the door, which was the wrong door. Three males were inside and in the process of cutting and bagging large amount of heroin and crack cocaine. So, like, literally caught red hand. And the cops are like, hello, good morning. Right. Uh, we're just looking for... What is that? <laughs> <laughs> You're all under arrest. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, the men, aged 28 and 127, were arrested on suspicion of possession of Class A drugs with intent to supply. These are some... Ugly ass white dudes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, can't even be attractive. Come on, drug <laughs> drug pushers. This is from Lester Lester Mercury Co. UK. Um, but the it's an article by, by Chris Jones, and the the title is "Police Knock on Wrong Door End Up Finding Three Men Bagging Up Heroin and Cocaine." <laughs> this is like some classic caught. Re- this is like some like Family Guy shit right here. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so mine's a CNN travel story um, by Emily Dixon and uh, Gianluca Mezziofore, and it's called British Airways Flight Was Supposed to Go to Germany. It went to Scotland. I think I almost did this one. It went like 500 miles. 
turned it miles in the wrong direction, didn't it? A How could you mess up so bad? <laughs> so I'll tell you. I'll, okay. I'll, all right, all right, I'll, I'll right. tell you what happened. Okay. All so right, how right, could right. how could this possibly have happened? So okay. So what they say is, according to British Airways, which was the the, the airline or whatever, the flight was being um, operated by German leasing company WDL Aviation on behalf of British Airways subsidiary airline BA City Flyer. Okay, Th this is very common in airlines, apparently, right? Uh, we've heard of this before. The there's the little ones, they contract with the bigger ones, whatever. Mm -hmm. They apparently were the ones who made the mistake, WDL Aviation. Their office in Germany filed the wrong flight plan. And the... Um, oh, that's not about something I would do. So that, I know, right? <laughs> I'm petty like so that. that. <laughs> I, I always end up going in the wrong direction. Um, <laughs> I, I end up going north 500 miles. Oh, I should have gone south 500 miles. Um East West, I don't, I don't fucking know. But anyway, they um, apparently the crew thought they were supposed to go to Edinburgh. That was like that was the flight plan. That was that was what their job to do was get these people to Edinburgh, right? Going to Scotland. I want to go to Edinburgh. Don't we all? I know. Um, so the <laughs> the um, passengers though thought they were all going to Dusseldorf. Oh no! And apparently they. Uh, this was kind of a commuter flight, so they, they weren't really paying that much attention. A lot of them were sleeping. They were on their computers doing right. work, whatever. Um, they did not notice that they were not crossing the English Channel, but rather were going north towards Scotland. Until, of course, they landed in Scotland, and uh, <laughs> the, uh, the flight attendant was like, um, how many of you thought you were going to Dusseldorf? And everyone <gasps> raised their hand. Oh my god. <laughs> they, um, I bet the flight attendant was like, oh, I no. am so sorry. I am fucked. Um, Someone's getting fired. Right. Apparently not her. So, or him, I don't know. Uh, I think it was her. But anyway, um, so they refueled, they took off again. <laughs> All the people on the plane were like calling their family and friends, being like, yeah, they took us to Edinburgh. I don't know, it's weird. And they're like, no, you're, you're fucking with me, right? Like, no, seriously, I'm in Scotland right now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, they took off again. They made it to Dusseldorf. Everything was fine. Um, here's a quote from one of the uh, passengers. Quote, most of us found this situation quite funny, Jabo said. At least they were good spirits. People were on phone calls trying to convince everyone that they've arrived in the wrong city. Um, another passenger on the flight, Sun Tran, told CNN, quote, Most passengers sleep or work through this flight. We only realized we are in Scotland once we descended on approach and asked the crew. So anyway, they, uh, they apologized. No one was ever in any danger, whatever. It's just a purely funny story. So we can all feel good about our lives and everything that's happening everywhere in the world. Oh, not that. Oh, sorry, sorry. Based on your face, I said the wrong thing. Um, that's not true, but it's a little bit of levity oh, for your man. day, so enjoy your Wednesday. That one's kind of funny. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Can you imagine, like, <laughs> what do you mean we're in Scotland? Like <laughs> Scotland. Scotland. How I thought much, we were uh, going to Germany. Germany. So can we, do we have a layover? What's the next flight? Can I? They called it an, an involuntary layover. I, I was going to say, ah! <laughs> <laughs> you oh, didn't Jesus. even know. Well, thanks for listening, you guys. Yes, thank you so much. And if you're still listening, thanks for listening to the end. Yeah, follow us. 
on all of the social medias. Yeah, thanks for (laughs) listening to the end. (laughs) I have no idea who actually listens to the very end. But anyway, um, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Instagram. Um, a, a Patreon, you know, we, we put some uh, more stuff up there, our first extra segment. Uh, we're going to do those once a month, so uh, we'll probably be doing one next weekend, and or probably the weekend after that, actually. Uh, but anyway, uh, anything else? Um, but it, but it, but I it, think but that's it, man. That's all, folks. That's all. I'm hungry. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.